everyone, and welcome back to In Our 1990s, the podcast where your two hosts are ranking all the alternative albums of the 1990s, whether or not you think they're alternative. We know they really are. I'm, I'm your host, Natalie, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Hadrian. How are you doing, Hadrian? Pretty okay. I have a delicious CC lemon in front of me this week, so I am as good as it's possible to be right now. Courtesy of me. Yes. CC lemon... Go go get some. It's, <laughs> if it's you can the find it. greatest drink. Uh, go to Japan if you have to. It's it's the greatest drink ever conceived by humans. <laughs> and the Simpsons did their commercials in Japan, but I don't care about that because I didn't know that when I first tried CC Lemon, and fuck, oh, it's just so good. I like when it says it, it says ex- it like specifically thirty five lemons per can. Yes, it does not taste like thirty five lemons. <laughs> it tastes like you're drinking just straight citric acid. So I can't, I can't consume CC lemon, but I'm glad to give Natalie this joy. Yeah, and if you get the bottles, the the number, the lemon number is higher. But I've never seen the bottles in America. I've only ever seen the cans. I don't think the bottles make the the transit. And the only real like foreign sodas I see, it's either in California in bottles or everywhere else is a can. I found that the same place I got that had the uh, Calpico soda. So I'm going to get some of that the next time I go, because, fuck yes. <laughs> Did you see that Potari Sweat is officially launching in America as just Potari? That's awesome. And they are, the marketing is like, they're marketing it as a parody of Gamer Fuel. Like, not intentionally a parody, but it's like, do you need energy to own some more noobs? Get Potari! Mm. Yeah, it's embarrassing, but you know what? I will drink all of it because I, Potari Sweat, also delicious. Yeah, I, 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 every time the Asian market I like to go to is open after I leave the gym, oh, those halcyon days before COVID, uh, I would go and get a Potari Sweat. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's maybe my second favorite Japanese soft drink, but CC Lemon is, is the unconquerable. I don't know the brand name, but it's uh, it's in these little stout glass bottles. They may have a uh, melon and a mango soda. They also do a watermelon one, and they're amazing. I like them more than Ramane. They have that same, like, crispness that Ramane has, but doesn't have the gimmick. I think I've only had Ramane once. That is a thing that I did not see a single time when I was in Japan. That's a it's a weeb gimmick, and yeah. from what I from what I observed from anime when I was a teenager is that it was really only like during like festivals and things that those bottles get like brought out. I mean, like it's the cool, refreshing thing to have while you're outside. <laughs> CC Lemon is cooler and more refreshing, in my opinion, and 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 you can get it out of vending machines all over the place. So it's Every time I play the Yakuza games, I have to go and try to find CC Lemon for her because I, there are, all the Yakuza games have CC Lemon in the vending machines. I was uh, like actually worried a couple of times in Japan about getting vitamin C poisoning because I would drink like five CC Lemons in a day. Yeah, it's not. You can't do that now. You've learned your lesson. <laughs> well, I never got vitamin poisoning, but uh, also I, you know, it's just not as easy to come. Whenever you, I mean, it was just one of those things where I'd be out walking around and just. Every time I'd pass a vending machine with CC Lemon in it, I'd be like, I should get another CC Lemon. I should take a drink of the CC Lemon now that I've been talking about it. Uh, that's that's the word on the street from the, the international sodas market. Oh man, so good. But when I when I first found these in America, I've been trying to find them for years for her. Uh, she was like, I'm going to drink one. And then she's like, I'm going to have another one later in that day. Halfway through the second one, she was like, 
oh, I probably shouldn't have consumed them that close together. And I'm like, mmm, power of 35 lemons, yo. <laughs> now it's 70 lemons. Uh, you know, uh, whatever it takes to get more CC lemon into my veins. But we're here to talk about music. And the first album we were here to talk about this week, I was I was looking for a segue that we didn't say anything heretical like Mountain Dew is better than CC Lemon or something. Mm. But our first album's all about heresy. Uh, uh, straight up blast. It's just straight up blasphemous. That's what this album is. Uh, yeah. Um, so our first album this week is from 1997, um, and it is Exile by Gary Newman. And this one's Hadrian, so I'm going to let him do the introduction. So the 90s and Gary Newman are not friends. Uh, if you try to find most of his 90s catalog, you can find it on YouTube. But he has unilaterally removed it from existence on most streaming and MP3s purchasing sites. One, he doesn't really give a shit about the music industry at large, which is something I'll tell you a little bit later. But after his like whirlwind success in the 80s, like everyone knows the song Cars, you know? Like everyone knows that song. And he kind of begrudgingly still plays Cars. Though he has worked it into his new aesthetic, which is amazing. We saw Gary Newman last year, I believe. Yeah, almost exactly a year ago. I think it was August of last year. Yeah. And I'll get to that. I have a lot to say. Gary Newman's one of my favorite artists. Um, I don't talk about him in the same, like, reverential tones that I talk about, like, Roxy Music or something. But, like, he is in my brain constantly. And to understand him is that he is kind of... An out an outsider by choice in the in the music industry. He just does what he wants. He surrounds himself with people he finds really interesting. Uh, he doesn't have a lot of drive to be wildly famous. And if that that goes all the way back to when the Pleasure Principle came out, because the way he was dancing, the the aesthetic of the music in that album, like everything about Gary Newman was just. He saw Kraftwerk and then became a robot. And he 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 always gets very bashful when people compare him to Kraftwerk. He's like, they're way better than I am. But it's there. And he took that aesthetic and just ran with it. And his entire career up to this point is wanting to be a Blade Runner, not being unsure about that, robot apocalypse. And then now he's living in the desert out of <laughs> after the robot apocalypse. That's what his music is now, but this album is important because it was him coming back into form or really developing the sound he has now after a mat of string of terrible failures. And I wanted to do the, the album Sacrifice, which was, came out before this one, and we will probably do it at some point in the future, but me purchasing a copy of it was prohibitively expensive at this point. So we're going to do Exile. Which Sacrifice and Exile both have a theme of just blistering atheism. And Gary lost a lot. When Sacrifice came out, he started his fans started being a little weird about it. And then when Exile came out and he was like, I just want to be straight up blasphemous. This album is supposed to be just like, I will kill God. And one of the Gary Newman fan sites actually turned into like a... Like a save Gary Newman's soul. So. Yeah, because they were like, why is he doing this? Why is he alienating his Christian fans? He's like, I don't give a fuck. And that's what I like about Gary Newman. He doesn't give a fuck. And he's 
when and this ties into what he did during the early 2000s when Napster and a lot of LimeWire were a thing. He was getting fucked by music studios. So he was like, I heard my music. I don't give a shit. I was a teenager and managed to send him some money. Because <laughs> I was like, I want to buy something from Gary Newman because he is such a cool dude and he hates music industry so much. He's like, I don't make much money either way, so who gives a shit? I'm like, solidarity, Gary Newman. <laughs> so he's a, he's a delightful curmudgeon of a person who is very into cyberpunk and post-apocalyptic aesthetics and he was very early on that train <laughs> yeah like so listening to this at first i was kind of like oh yeah you know nice nice edgy atheism but then i was like this is 1997 like mm -hmm. that shit wasn't really a thing you heard a lot of in 97 like like you got it from trent reznor and like probably from other industrial artists which is probably something that informed his sound going more into industrial. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, you, so even with Nine Inch Nails, you didn't get it, you know, every single song. <laughs> or there was some, like, element of, uh, you know, like we did the song um, Fragile on the, the Caulfield's album, and, you know, it was sort of like, oh, you know, this seems pretty hard to believe, but I'm gonna be faithful. And Gary Newman's like, I will tear down your temples and burn everyone. Uh, yeah. So something I liked about this, and, and this has always been, this is almost exactly how I feel on, you know, the existence of God, is, is he had a quote about this album, and it's straight up blasphemy, and, and he said, personally, I don't believe in God at all, but if I'm wrong and there is a God, what kind of God would it be who would give us the, give us the world we live in? And so, yeah, it's like, whenever people do the like pascal's wager thing or like oh i mean you don't lose anything if you believe in god which isn't true to start with but um like okay but why would you look around at, at the world as it is and say oh well yeah you're right i can just pretend like i believe in a you know loving caring god when clearly that's like I mean, not to be like a nihilist here or anything, but like obviously that's not how not how things are. Yeah, and so he's he's very pointedly taking uh, offense at Christianity in particular, but I think his his broader concept of just being straight up blasphemous reaches all you know theistic religion, and I. So throughout most of my my young life, I was like, hmm, religion seems like shit. Hmm, but maybe. Hmm, I don't know. And I think one of the things that made that decision much easier as I got older was I said I kept listening to this album and I kept listening to Hybrid, which is his uh, 2006 album where he re-records some of this and has a few, uh, I think the song My Jesus is on Hybrid, which is great. Uh... Gary has a very firm stance on religion's, you know, usefulness. And it's kind of hard to talk yourself into being in a theistic religion when you have dark heaven playing in <laughs> your dead heaven playing in your in the background. So Gary Newman is responsible for me probably just accepting that I was not going to be part of the a theistic tradition. And I'm really happy about that. 
And this album was instrumental in that, just because every song is nonstop, just like the hypocrisy of believing in, you know, all-powerful beings and how pointless they are. Yeah, um, and and it hits right off with that. The first track, Dominion Day, is is just as much of a statement of purpose as you're ever going to get at the start of an album. Yes. Um, And I would say the best song on the album, despite the one huge flaw that that it has, which is the fucking reverb on the vocals. Um, If you have not listened to this album, imagine a, like mid-tempo like nine inch nails or or front 242 track but the vocalist instead of having like a distorted voice or something is kind of like low in the mix but also has just this hugely saturated like bathroom reverb on it so i i kept listening to this over and over man i like this song a lot but i kept listening to it trying to think out why he would do that i I think I got it. So if you watch the video, did you watch the video? No, I, I did not watch it. Okay, so the video is him, like, in a post-apocalyptic setting, but in, like, a suit, and with, like, women around him, and he's de- definitely doing this, like, I am the god now kind of thing. And I think that's what he was trying to invoke with that. He was trying to be a, like, out-of-place, powerful voice. And so it don't, I don't think it's particularly effective, but I think it was intentional to try to make the voice sound like it was coming from someplace other. And we have better methods of doing that now, which he does to great effect later in his career. But this was really his first time doing stuff like this. And the video, I recommend watching it. It's a, it's a weird, just like, Gary Newman's in a video? What? Because usually it's him just dancing, and now it's him singing at a camera and like look, like like making faces and stuff. And I'm like, what happened here? <laughs> but it's, I don't know, that song is great. I, I argue that The Angel Wars is maybe better. Um, let me see if that was... Oh, no, okay. My my other favorite is Innocence Bleeding, mm-hmm. um, which sounds really like Violator-era Depeche Mode, um, which is my, you know, hands down my favorite Depeche Mode album, so... Obviously, I'm I'm a fan of of that sound as well, um, and I really like. And this is, I'll be honest, there's not a whole lot that stood out for me on this album. Um, I think it's kind of a slog, honestly, to get through. It, which is just because every song is the same BPM. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all mid tempo, sort of either like light industrial or hip hop drum loops. And then, like, chunk-a-chunk-a industrial guitars. Um, And that's a criticism you can make of Gary Newman's music post the, like, Tubeway Army and early, like, Pleasure Principle and then... It just really needed to do something different. Um, So it's like, Dominion Day is good, but then, like, the very next song... Oh, wait, no, it's, it's, it's not the very next song. It's Dead Heaven the chorus is almost exactly the same as Dominion Day. And it's the same the same mid tempo thing. I, I really like the guitar tone on on Dead Heaven. It kinda has this later cure, like really expansive chorus distortion guitar sound that's really, you know, sort of like like the prophecy scary angels kind of sound. Yeah. <laughs> 
and but like i I don't just they're just honestly there it's hard for me to like remember a whole lot of of it because it all just kind of blends together and all kind of sounds like dominion day just not quite as good i but and i argue that it's a an experience to have because it is a lot of like if you are you you have you know saintly little christian ears and then this album comes on and you just can't turn it off just like you just said a lot of things. One of the reasons I like the Angel Wars is that's the one that starts with, "I'll drive the stake through your black heart, through your black heart, oh Lord! I'll pull down your temples and burn every word, Father! I'll kill all the angels and show show me the light, Jesus! I'll drift into darkness and tear out the soul of God." Yeah, the uh, the lyrics that I earmarked. I mean, aside from just all of them, <laughs> it is uh, specifically from Prophet the Song Prophecy, which is the second track. Um, he sold the world, sold us all to, uh, to the hunger. The body of Christ is as black as his soul. The word of the Lord is the lie of your father. <laughs> like, it's He was not uh, not coy about what he was driving at. Um, it, I feel like he could have varied things up a little bit more and not lost the the plot. Because, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of a, a weird thing that, like, people who are relatively new to atheism do where you're not rejecting the like structures of, of Christianity exactly. You're just like flipping them off. And, and I think you'd like, I, I don't know where he went with this ultimately, you know, like in his personal beliefs, but it's like at some point you have to accept that like, yeah, okay. Like I've killed God and now I realize that like all that stuff's bullshit. As opposed to, like, I mean, I feel like this this album is kind of, it's using the imagery for a reason. It's not like he's, I think it's more of a thought experiment of just really trying to drive home, like, no, if God exists, God is horrible. Yeah. Um, and that's why, and then that's what elevates it beyond that, like, you know what, Jesus sucks. <laughs> like, I mean, there's there's that element to it, but, like. Gary likes playing with the concepts of, like, things getting, like, out of control and dangerous. It's very Lovecraftian in a way. The thing that makes Lovecraft good, which is, like, he, sh- you see the shadow, and the shadow is so mind-bendingly terrible that the-, the things can't be described. And that's something that Gary describes all the time. Have you ever listened to Down on the Park and actually thought about the lyrics of that song? Fuck. Like, that's, um, Call Out the Dogs, uh, just a lot of this, like, our friends electric uh like all of these songs if you think about the lyrics and the way he's written them it becomes more just unpleasant and just this tilted view of the world and it's i think that this that through that same lens talking about religion is important and that's that's the thing that what makes this a little more than just like someone who's just recently adopted atheism he was always on this path, but I think he felt he needed to be more explicit about it in the 90s because there were a lot of Christian acts coming up around, and I think he was just like, that's stupid. I'm not going to let that happen. Yeah, and and this is why Dominion Day, and you know, another reason Dominion Day is my favorite song, it, it is that it's it's actually about, like, the second coming but everybody is like, oh, fuck, this isn't what I wanted. <laughs> like, like Jesus comes back and just wrecks everything and, like, burns the oceans. And, <laughs> and, and it's a good, you know, it's it's another point to make if you're, you know, if you're an atheist, like, 
you you can't have the world as it is and like gentle Jesus meek and mild because you know why do babies get cancer if if gentle Jesus is the one in control of everything and if you say mysterious ways you know you deserve you you want to see somebody who's like oh I just know it's true mysterious ways it's like you kind of want to see them react to getting the, to the oceans getting burnt set on fire <laughs> you know it's oh. like like it's such transparent bullshit and and I appreciate the um how blunt he is about calling it bullshit and being like no let's let's take this to its logical conclusion um i just don't i feel like one he makes that point so well in one song that he didn't need to make a whole album about it like he could have written about other subjects on the rest of the songs he didn't want to i mean that that's uh he just he he just didn't he didn't want to. He was, I mean, Gary Newman does seem like kind of a bloody-minded person, and if he's going to do a thing, he's got to fucking do that thing, and you're not going to stop him. And, and to maybe to maybe give this a little more clarity for you, he's on the spectrum. He was, later in life, he was diagnosed with, with autism. So, like, his his bloody-minded focus yeah. comes from a very genuine place. Yeah, and and I can definitely understand that too. Um, it's just again, I I just had to keep telling myself this is 1997, not 2020, um, because uh-huh. in 2020 it's like it, it would be indefensible to make an album that is this hyper focused on, hey y'all, have you thought about maybe God doesn't exist? <laughs> because like at this point, post christopher hitchens and richard dawkins like yeah everybody's thought about it like everyone has a dug-in position on it and it's not interesting but they but they needed dominion day to help them get there you know it's like yeah well i doubt richard dawkins and christopher hitchens no. were listening to gary newman but it, it it's but i personally feel that this album as as very focused as it is was very helpful in my like i've, I've always loved gary newman and i would just imagine a shuffle mix where you're just like blah 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 beatles 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 Dominion Day. Uh, just, you know, David Bowie's light, airy pop. Dead Heaven. And like, <laughs> things like this just pop up and you're like, I have to stop and listen. And so I was like, gearing myself up for just ridiculous atheism and Satanism. <laughs> yeah, it, it's still, beyond that though, like I I do think that the mu- that musically most of the album's kind of flat. Like it, it just doesn't it doesn't hit really hard, and I just don't think that he was because he did. I mean, he was the producer, he was the engineer, he was the mixer. Like he did everything on this, and it just I don't feel like he. I feel like he needed help because um, uh, it just. I mean, you can't listen to something like the downward spiral, and then listen to this and be like, oh yeah, you know, this is like for an album that came out what two three years after the downward spiral like you you should sound and and you have the resources that gary newman has like you should sound better than this i recommend that you listen to machine plus soul this is another one of the albums that he just completely disavows um because it's bad it just is bad and so in the late 80s he had a lot of uh female backing vocals which he does some now his daughter sings on his most recent album which she has an amazing voice and it was i wanted you to listen to the song new anger uh before we did the show but 
that one is the best usage of so of best usage of him mixing the voices up but he was at this like weird sound crossroads where he was listening i don't know if he was listening to other people trying to produce his work but what he said about machine plus souls that the clothes were bad the music was bad everything was bad because if you look at the album cover if then then the re-releases of machine plus soul he completely changed the cover because he hated this like weird puffy like jumpsuit thing he was wearing and so that Gary's music in the 90s is very much him trying to find a sound that wasn't what he'd always been doing. And so when we saw, when we went to see him last year, do you, can you still tell that this album is in that work? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not denying that he got way better at producing it. Um, it's just, and and I'm also not saying that anything on this album is bad, because I don't think it's it's bad by any means. I do think it's, like, very middling, though. It's mid-tempo middling, like... And I think it's more than that, but I've, I've listened to a lot of Gary Newman, uh, both more than you and more a lot to prep for this episode, just trying to, like, really... Because I was, I was, I was bracing for you to say, like, well, all of these songs sound the same, and I'm like, okay, uh, well, they, there are, They do. <laughs> there are nuances, but I will, I will give you that he does have some flourishes and tones that are always the same, and it's... For, he's using... Um, trills in this album that he used in the eighties. It is he's continued to do this like that, like that whole element is always all of his music, and I love it. I don't know. I like that he is that consistent with it. He just yeah, and and that's not what I'm critiquing. It, to me, it's like within the album, there's not like the songs need a bridge. Like they need. More no one instrumentation a they need to be better produced like they need to like the just just something as small as like the kick drum needs to hit harder like because it is a, a it should be a heavy album but like this is not in the same universe as like kmfdm with that yeah and, and it's, it's not a kmfdm album it's not like that guitar heavy it's way more synth heavy but like it needs better. It, I just desperately wanted it to stop sounding so flat because it's just it's extremely flat, and it reminds me of those um, Cleopatra records compilations that used to come out. Just like seemed like one of them a month in in mm. the early two thousands. Like, and half those bands were like recording themselves at home and shouldn't have been, and it, and it would fit right in with that because there's just not that much going on in most of these songs. And it's it's really an artist trying to reclaim identity and form, which is a, a, a through a theme of artists and, and albums that I pick for this show, because I feel the '90s was a very transformative time. It was a very fin de siècle. Like it was people were coming into the end of an age and trying to brace for what the future would hold. And this, among I mean, this and Sparks for sure, these albums may not be the most definitive because i feel hybrid is way better than this album but it is important as a launching point for the rest of their careers and this kind of edge gary never let go i mean he did have a bit before the wandering the desert with his his like you know Mad Max warrior. His, his cyber Bedouin, Bedouin phase that he's uh, in I, now. I love it, though. I love it. I, I, 
oh no it's great and like i loved like seeing him live it was awesome like everything sounded amazing live and that's why i wanted to bring up cars because he redid cars just enough with this vibe yeah that it's still very clearly cars and he's throwing back to it but it's like the everything is like bright lights and like dusty feeling and then there's turquoise and magenta lights doing v patterns and you didn't you didn't want cars and then cars happens you're like i have never wanted cars <laughs> yeah. more in my life <laughs> yeah and he smirks when he starts it because he knows you didn't want cars and then you do want cars yeah. and so he's an amazing performer and he just needed to find his groove again and this and i think being explicit about this like his fans and I almost think that this album was directly a response to people being like, sacrifice is a bit anti-religion, Gary. What are you doing? And he was just like, okay. And just, because Gary Newman doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah, so like, it, and it was, I mean, going, I, you can't say Gary Newman went electronic, but also like his earlier stuff is not as electronic. Like people only know cars, and so they think that's what all his stuff sounds like. It's really not like there was a lot of live drumming and guitars on the but early there's a stuff. lot of craft work craft work is like just deeply influential on what gary was doing yeah but it's like funkier craft work yeah craft work was very like well he wasn't a we punk are, band. Like, we are the sound of the factory dun 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 <laughs> yeah well so like two boy army is very punk it was it was robot punk and then that gave way to it's hard to classify him. He gets he because he, he's never he's not really pop. He's not really goth. Even though this album gets most the exile gets firmly labeled a goth industrial album. Yeah, it is. I mean, this is this album is why the Cruise Shadows exist. Yes, <laughs> because and, that's that's ultimately what I could think of the most was like, yep, this is where the Cruise Shadows got their sound from. Oh, yes. I mean, even if it's not, like, a, a, a the most perfectly formed package, you, you hear Gary Newman do this, and you're like, I could probably, yeah. Because before this, he had been all over the place, kind of trying to harken back to his early days, bringing... Because there was a lot of slow Gary Newman songs in, like, the, the yeah. mid to late 80s and early 90s. So I'm just like, ugh. It's taken me a long time to get into them, and now I have a more of an appreciation for his overall body of work that I'm super into that, but like he needed this album. <laughs> yeah. And, and what I was, I, I was going toward a point that I got, um, that kind of derailed myself from, um, is like 96 is kind of when a lot of people started going electronic. Mm -hmm. And even though Gary Newman had always had elements of, of electronic music in his sound, this is like, just going all the way with the drum loops and synthesizers and and but it also just all kind of sounds like he got fruity loops and an industrial patch for fruity loops like like it's it, the like other groups like this is a wild comparison but like everything but the girl uh walking wounded their first drum and bass album where they you know just completely were like oh well missing was a big club hit so let's just do that now um like they went out and got like producers and like learned how to make that style sound really good they didn't just this just kind of sounds like a guy in his home studio who's like heard who who listened to nine inch nails and front 242 and was like yeah i could probably do something like that <laughs> and he just I, he really needed advisors or if he had them he needed better advisors because someone to 
come in and be like, yeah, here's like this is a good foundation, but now let's spice it up a little because it just desperately needs spice. It, like it, it's there's nothing in taken one by one. I just I'd like I could not call any of these songs bad, but taken as an album, it's just like. I, I just kept getting bored every time I tried to listen to it. Which is not the experience I have at all. So ranking this is going to be a nightmare. <laughs> well, I, I think we're I think we're ready to rank it. I do want to say one more thing. I want to say uh, I recommend looking up uh, a YouTube video called Gary Newman What's What's in Your Bag, uh, where he talks about you know stuff he carries with him, and they're at a they're in a record store, and he is like delightfully flipping through records, finding stuff that he likes. I. You can't help but find him amazing. <laughs> so I, I like his earnestness. So where do you want to put it? I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you throw out a number, and then I'm gonna fight you. <laughs> um. So, like, I do think this is better than that Marcy Playground album. I think it's worse than a lot of stuff below it. Um, in a world where we had not put Marcy Playground at where it is, which is currently at number 18, I would have put this between Monster and Pretty on the inside. Or no, sorry, I would have put this between Manscape and Rocket, because I, I just don't think it's as good as Manscaped. But I know that's not going to fly, so I'm not in a fight for that. Um, so I would probably put it between Dandy's Roll OK and Marcy Playground. I, I could be amenable to that. I was afraid you were gonna get down into the space hog territory, and I was gonna. Oh fight no, you. no! It's way better than than like our bottom two are still Rocket and and Resident Alien, and it's way better than either of those. But it try it's so like unambitious with its sound that I could not really put it above Manscape. But again, uh, that's just not a fight I'm gonna have on every album. So. <laughs> um, so like I, I I would I had way more fun listening to Dandy's Rule Okay even though it similarly can get boring mm-hmm. um and and I think this is like definitively better than than Marcy Playground so I would put it at number eighteen between those two I'm fine with that okay that was neat. that was easier than we were both expecting what was your like swinging for the fences ranking on that one oh I was gonna put it at like thirteen. Okay, yeah, just as long as we agree that it's not a top ten. Oh yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't gonna go that high. I mean, if you had liked it more, I would have been more inclined to like try to fight for it. But I knew that you were going to pick up on the fact that he uses very similar tones through most of his songs, which is something he still does. And the thing that I was gonna say before his like his like robot Bedouin thing is that he was uh, wearing a top hat and like a late Victorian like <laughs> suits and stuff. Is... never wear a top hat it's... you should look those pictures up but they're amazing <laughs> but if you ever hear this Gary I really like you a whole lot <laughs> and and just fucking a great live show oh, just so if amazing. you get the chance to see Gary Newman like I don't care how old he is he performed his ass off he's always... one of the best shows I've ever seen he's he's always been a dancer and like he doesn't stop that man is just just sweat by the end of the show yeah no he i mean he was yeah he did not stop that's the best <laughs> way to put it it was so good and had you know the sound all hit way harder live than than it did on this record which is you know not always how it goes but if you want to feel music 
I think that was maybe a good venue because Nightmare Air opened for them and they also sounded amazing. Mm-hmm. Like they sounded like you want them to sound very super atmospheric and you were like picking up on the subtleties of their sounds even though it was loud as hell. And I and I love uh that because he apparently surprised Nightmare Air when he was doing this tour and and he was like, "Hey, do you want to tour with me?" and they're like, "What? You know who we are?" <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah." And that's that's why another reason I like him because he's just like, "Hello. I like your music." And he, they're like, "Oh no, that's Gary Newman. Hello." <laughs> so that would be very scary but also amazing. All right, we'll get this one on the list and we'll come back and do our first Melt Banana album. All right, we are back for our second album this week. It's from 1994. The first album by Japanese noise artist Melt Banana, Speech Sweet Creek. So Melt Banana, if you've never heard them, is uh, the primary members are Yasuko Onuki, who is the vocalist, and Ichiro Agata, who is the guitarist. And for most of their career, Rika Hamamoto was the bassist. Uh, she retired from the band in 2013, and since then it has just been uh, Onuki and Agata with rotating musicians. Or rotating bassists and drummers. Um, so Japanese noise has a really like if you know if you know noise music and you don't just know Melt Banana. When you, when I say Japanese noise, you're gonna think of Hijo Kaidan, The Boredoms, uh, Hanatarash, CCCC groups like that. Mersbau, obviously, I should have said first, but <laughs> this shows how deep I am into Japanese noise that I think of incapacitance first. Um, or the Gero Gary Gay Gay Gay. There's a deep cut for you. Um, it's making a face. That's probably the face <laughs> I'm going to make for the rest of this episode because it's a face. Go on YouTube and search for William Bennett is my talk by the Gero Gary Gay Gay Gay, and you'll have the best like 30 minutes of your life. Um, or worst. <laughs> It's amazing. Uh, anyway, so there is like a sound that is thought of by people who like noise music as Japanese noise. It's it's not as abrasive and shrill as you know Western noise, as as power electronics, uh, stuff like White House or Sutcliffe Ugend or Death Pile or any of those more. It, you know, obviously, you can tell by some of the names, like, very edgy and, and like, serial killer obsessed. And, uh, you know, Japanese noise is not like that. But then also, um, you have, coming from just completely out of left field, even by Japanese standards, uh, Melt Banana. And they are way more, you know, they have songs, <laughs> unlike most Japanese noise artists, where you just sort of get, you know, soundscapes. Um, and unlike, say, Mersbell, who who is not afraid to bust out a, you know, 30-minute track, or CCCC, whose stuff tends to run, like, 12 to 15 minutes per track because they were thinking of a live setting, um, where they're, and, and if you've never seen a CCCC show, they, they tend to involve, like, sort of extreme performance art in there, 
um, in their live setting, you know, like dripping hot candle wax on people and stuff. Um, so Melt Banana is comes at it more from a punk rock angle or even like a grindcore angle. Um, they do songs, and those songs, at least at the beginning, tended to be super, super short. So this album, uh, Speech Sweet Creek, has 25 tracks, although it's kind of a cheat because the last track, which is untitled, is all 24 previous tracks played at the same time, which is awesome, and I love it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the songs on this album range from, like, two and a half minutes is the longest, and I think, like, 11 seconds is the shortest song. Yeah. Um, so they're kind of like when I first when I read the Scott Pilgrim comics, I I imagine Crash and the Boys is sounding like Melt Banana. That's they, very fair. And so when I saw the movie and they didn't sound like Melt Banana, I was really disappointed. <laughs> Even though it's funny what they do with them in the in the movie, it's I just reading those comics, I I was clearly hearing them as as like, oh, this is like an eleven second Melt Banana song. This this is great. Um, so their sound is really. I mean, it's it's totally unique. Nobody sounds like Melt Banana, and even though there's some really obvious influences in Melt Banana, they don't sound like any of their influences straight straight on. Like, I would say that Big Black, especially Atomizer era, Big Black is a major influence. But it's like it's an influence in that there it sounds like they play bass like Steve Albini. Um, and Steve Albini produced this album, so it makes me wonder if he passed it, that along to them. Because um, to to go on a brief Big Black tangent, like the reason Big Black sounds the way they do is Steve Albini made guitar picks out of metal, and he would take a piece of metal and bend it in two opposite directions, so it was like always picking basically, and that's why Big Black just sounds like sheet metal being scraped on their guitar because literally it is <laughs> and there's some parts of this album that also sound so much like that big black just like sheet metal tone that i can't imagine that steve albini wasn't like hey you want some of my guitar picks <laughs> that i make myself <laughs> so it's it's they're interesting in terms of their noise because it, it does have a little bit of the like grindcore influence also where the the bass is extremely harsh and metallic um, and contributes to the noise as much as the guitar. And and Agata's guitar is just insane. Like, nobody else plays... Like, the closest I can come to saying somebody plays guitar like him is Jojo Hiroshige from, from Hijo Kaidan. Um, but even then, like, he's still more abstract. Whereas Agata will be, like, will somehow go from like playing power chords to making his guitar sound like an air raid siren. And it it's just again, his tone is it's it's like up there with like Brad Laner from Medicine, how he ran his uh guitar the way he he didn't use a distortion pedal, he ran his guitar into a four track and peaked out the levels on it, and that was how he got distortion. It's it's that level of instantly recognizable tone. Um so it's it can be tough to describe them because you can't just say, oh, yeah, you know, imagine this band. It's like you can't really do that. And similarly with uh, Yasuko's vocals, like they're very piercing and short. It, like she doesn't tend to sustain notes ever. 
is like she kind of just yelps really short words yeah she's shouting she has a really high voice and she yells but it's extremely sharp and clipped and that so agata's guitar tone and her vocals are like you know those those are the instantly recognizable things about melt banana and it's amazing to me how confident they were in both of those things just right off the bat with this album Mm -hmm. like a lot of people if you go back and listen to their first album they're kind of trying to hide behind the production almost and yasko especially is just like no i am in full lydia lunch mode which that that is like the one influence that she cites is like because japanese artists generally don't like to tell you about their influences yeah and so she's kind of the same. It's like, oh, you know, it's it's we do our thing. It's it's us. But she does actually say like Lydia Lunch is what made me want to sing, and that's not surprising. So this is just right off the bat. It it is they are melt banana <laughs> like they were. It's like they could never be anything else. And um, it can be hard to talk about individual songs on here it, it like because when you have an 11 second song how much can you really say about that it was short it was yeah which is i think it's a good thing too but not for the same reason that you think it's a good thing <laughs> and you know no, i will be honest here i didn't this is more listenable than that love's lies crashing album for me just because my early foray into going to a friend's show there was a band that was playing at a like a an underage show like basically it was just like we drink juice and soda at this at this place but they it was a band that was i don't remember the name of it they were super influenced by mel banana and i didn't know that at the time but it was exactly this to the point that i think they just straight up tried to mimic a mel banana song and i was like oh god because it was a punk show, so I was like, uh, this is what I needed. A bunch of straight-edge adults and teenagers up in this. Oh, great. And now that sound is happening. Oh. And so that was my first introduction. I didn't hate it, and I don't hate this. It's not my preferred choice in music, and I'm just, that's just going to be a constant. I can be objective about it. And there are some interesting aspects in Mel Banana. I, I, I do like that they're playing around with so it's a chord suddenly it's not it's it's this rhythm suddenly oh that's fucked and that makes it more playful and interesting than just like a droning sound yeah they're they're extremely playful like and and funny like to the extent that you it's nearly impossible to understand their lyrics um she does write lyrics in, in english um none of it's in japanese or almost none of it um and she's I don't know how fluent she is in English. From what I read, she will like she picks words that she likes out of a dictionary and then writes songs to use those words. Basically, hmm. as her songwriting process, which makes sense because again, she favors it's like she favors short, spiky words or like words that you would only get out of a dictionary. Like there's a song on this album called "Blandished Hat Man." Yeah, and you know, "blandished" is not a word that people ever use who actually speak english but you can shout blandish pretty well yeah um 
like and and then just the the it's that the if you've ever appreciated the art in a bad machine translation and how you get accidental poetry out of that, like that's what Melt Benetta's song titles are. Yeah. Um, like my favorite song title on this album is In Times Out Equals Bug. Uh there's, <laughs> there's also uh, Chicken Headed Raccoon Dog is one of Um Blandished Hat Man is another is another favorite for me. Um their song titles actually are like relatively tame on this one, like Cry for more fish. Yeah, cry for more fish. Um, it's not on this album, but there's a a song they did on a compilation called "He Says Drink or Die, I Say Drink and Puke," mm-hmm. which is awesome. Um, uh, there's my one of my absolute favorite Malt Banana songs is off the album Cellscape, and it's called uh, "Shield for Your Eyes, A Beast in the Well of Your Hand." Like that's what their later song titles start becoming sentences. But not in a pretentious, uh, like, post-rock way. Not like Hammock or something. Like, it's it's way more fun than that. And that's just what pervades all of Melt Banana for me, is just, it's so fucking fun. And it, it's not, again, like we said, I think it was in the last episode we got on the subject of, like, don't, you know, don't don't sort of write off all Japanese art and media as, like, wacky Japanese um, because there is like a coherent aesthetic there that you just don't get because you're not in the culture um, yeah. or haven't spent enough time with it. But like, th- this is still very much that of like, it's not afraid to be fun and funny, and it's still like badass and like incredibly noisy and, and abrasive, but also like makes you laugh at the same time. Yeah, and I think the the particularly Japanese noise bands in particular versus like uh, American noise bands. They don't have to go as far to push against boundaries, to and I think that changes the way that the, the music is, is composed. Like, Melt Banana is not something that anyone's parents would want them listening to. But they wouldn't really know why. Yeah, it was just like, this is not... This just, this just feels wrong somehow. <laughs> exactly. And, th- and then that's kind of like... I mean, obviously there's like more I mean, blasphemy and obscenity in Japan than, there, than we're giving credit, but like it's different than the, what we get here. And because it just irks a sense of tradition, if that makes sense. And Melt Banana definitely does that. It's like, oh, I can play a chord, then I'm going to not play a chord. And you're like, <laughs> so I can see that being like, like a Japanese teenager having this and being like, yes. And a parent going, oh, no, why? <laughs> and that's and that would be the same as like rolling out the, I don't know. What's a, a mildly unsettling Western band? <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to find so like there are, don't seem to be any lyrics from this album that are out there, and I, I don't know how. Like, I thought the lyrics just zipped up everywhere. I could swear I had read those before. Um, but just doing a quick Google search, like here's the lyrics for the song "Ketchup Mess," which is from the album "Scratcher Stitch," which was a year after this one. Uh, kill that cat, I can keep my fish, ketchup, kickback, ketchup, kickshaw, ketchup, kickup, ketchup, kidnap, keep that kid teen, cut your finger and you'll cry out, hit your eyes and you'll see it, rip your head off, it's so sticky, shave your nose, I show my temper, like, primitive cat lane, I can give you bloody ketchup, bloody kidnap, <laughs> like, it, it's very just, you can hear her just shouting those, Oh yeah. you know, like, 
doing her incredibly clip shouting of, of those words. I want to say like six zip everywhere is almost like just sound effects, like just her yelling like bang pals apps. <laughs> but I don't remember that for sure. I, I remember reading the lyrics for that song at some point in my life and maybe they were incorrectly transcribed. But um, yeah, like it's it is definitely one of those things that like it feels like there's something bad here but it's just because it's so incomprehensible yeah so <laughs> but i was trying to find a, a western band to compare that to and i'm not it's i mean it would have to probably be from the like late 70s no wave scene um like dna i think they had similarly like extremely short songs mm -hmm. but they were nowhere near as i mean like the other thing about this is like it's a 24 song marathon like melt banana did not do slow songs at this point no i mean it just it starts off just like blast beats and it's not that it never stops being blast beats but it, it's like there's a cool like one of the things i really like about their sound and and it's even present on this album and they would keep developing it is the way that there's this interplay between the rhythm section and the guitar where they kind of come in and out and bounce off of each other mm -hmm. and it, it's kind of like they're like i'm trying to think of a, of a way to say this that isn't the metaphor i have in my head which sounds super racist but i'm just so i'm just going to say that one and hope for the best here it, it, it's like a sumo match <laughs> <laughs> like, like you have the the guitar which is where like the high-end noise and the like air raid siren sounds and sometimes like record scratch sounds and stuff that he does on the guitar that will like pound against the the just like buildings crumbling sound of the bass and the blast beats on the drums and occasionally one of them will knock the other one out of the song for a few seconds it's kind of like the um, the dueling pianos in uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah, but literally, like, you know, the bass and drums will stop, and it will just be, like, insane guitar squall for a second, and then, then the beat comes back in. Mm -hmm. And it, it's it they do even better stuff with that on later albums. Yeah, so if you like... Japanese noise and you like no wave and you like grindcore and you like power violence <laughs> and you also like getting yelled at just fucking berated by a, a very high pitched Japanese woman's voice like I can't recommend Melt Banana enough I, I, they're, they're not a band that it's like super easy for me to because it's such a it's just, just such a just you just it just it's music that just kicks the shit out of you for like the 30 minutes that an album lasts and like i have to really be in the mood to like get my ass kicked that hard by by a band but like there are definitely melt banana songs that i can always listen to i had to cut this album in half when i was listening to it because i was like okay done 20 minutes of it gonna do something the fuck else <laughs> And then come back later and do the another twenty minutes of it. And like, look, I do my due diligence here. I'm not just, I don't just blindly dislike noise music and you know, don't try. And I like Melt Banana more than. than it's 
it's like the best way maybe the best like metaphor i can have come up with for a melt banana album is it's like a punk rock alvin and the chipmunks just holding you down and beating your fucking ass <laughs> <laughs> but it's so good and just i mean like just the coolest band in the world like even if even if they're not even if I'm usually gonna, you know, listen to like the Cocteau Twins or a Robin Guthrie solo album over this, it, like it's just so like I I don't know how you can not just love the shit out of Melt Banana. Like they're just so incredibly lovable, and just I mean maybe the most fun band that I've ever listened to. Well, if you can find some noise music that is, you know, wailing violins and chimes and stuff, well, I'll, I'll give that one a, a much fairer <laughs> shake. But I, I, I do agree that the Mel Banana's fun. Yes, they're they're very fun. So I guess it's time to rank this one now. I haven't thought a ton about where I would put this one. Um, so this is not my favorite Mel Banana album, and mm. and it does have. Uh, like it doesn't have the problem of exile like not hitting hard enough for me it like this album hits plenty hard it does have like one of the things they got better at as they went on was differentiating their songs mm-hmm. like this album kind of sounds like one long song to me yes like well when like when i was listening to it in my car i had to stop and be like how many songs did i listen to it was like four yeah, songs yeah yeah it's like, like you listen to four songs and don't realize it um, because they barely stop, and their songs are kind of herky-jerky and, and have that stop-start thing anyway. So, like, you're never quite sure on their early albums. Like, did a song just end, or was that just a break in the... Like, did they just pause? Yeah. Um. So, what I'm getting at is, like... I guess I would probably, like, swing swinging for the fences on this one... And and let me get this all out before you react, but like I would probably put this between ten and eight arms to hold you at number seven, <laughs> with the caveat that this is not the Melt Banana album that I'm gonna be fight super hard to keep in the top ten. Like that's that's gonna be Charlie. Charlie is the one that you have to look out for when I when we eventually talk about it, because I think that one like that one might actually be a top ten album of the 90s for me so i'm fine with like i know you'll push this one down that's my starting point is, is would be to have it at number eight um but like what's your what's your comeback on that i'll give you 13 so yeah so it's definitely better than what to do about them in terms of noise albums um I would put it above Viva La Woman just because it's so much more original. It's not as listenable to someone who's not a noise fan, but like, I mean, again, like that's a trip hop album and this is insanity. Yeah. Um, should, should I get you that high on it? If you want to put it at 12, you can do that. Okay. That's just funny that both the Japanese bands we put on here are being grouped together. Well, that's uh, that's your doing, not mine. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't. This is not top ten for me, and you, I'm being reasonable. Yeah, I feel <laughs> because I have no red. This does not resonate with me one iota. 
I will listen to that Gary Newman album a thousand times before I listen to this again. So that's that that that's that's a big difference, and I probably should have fought to put Gary higher on the list, but I didn't. So I'm good at twelve. Okay, yeah. If you're good at twelve, then then I can live with this one at twelve, and we'll have a bigger fight when we eventually rank Charlie. Um, which hopefully, I don't know, you might you might enjoy that one more because um, it's it, it might actually be louder than this album, but it also has more conventional. There's something slightly more conventional about it, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, in, in that the songs are not 12 seconds long and have titles like Chicken Headed Raccoon Dog. Although they, they do have titles like Circle Jack Chase the Magic Word Lego Lego. So. Alright, so that means no changes to the top 10 this week. Um, I'll go ahead and read that out anyway. We still have at number 10, Anxiety by Fei Wong. At number 9, What's the Story, Morning Glory by Oasis. At number 8, uh, Eight Arms to Hold You by Veruca Salt. Number 7 is 10 by Pearl Jam. Uh, number 6, Without You, I'm Nothing by Placebo. Number 5 is Kill Uncle by Morrissey. Number 4, Superstition by Susie and the Banshees. Number three, The Philosophy of Momus by Momus. Number two, Liberation by The Divine Comedy. And at number one, Get Lost by The Magnetic Fields. If you want to see our complete rankings, that's at bit.ly slash nr1990s. That is bit.ly slash nr1990s. And you can also search for nr1990s on Spotify to find uh, all of our podcast episodes as well as our official show playlist which has every album we have ever ranked as well as the albums that we are going to be ranking next week and what does that mean for you hadrian uh i was torn between a couple but i decided to go with cascade by peter murphy and i am bringing in the first uh swing revival album that we've had on the show which is not by scrollnet zippers but is rag and roll by the blue rags nice and I thought for sure it would be me bringing in the scroll nut zippers. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's I I, I kind of like the idea of having this one on the list before before we rank scroll nut zippers. So, so that's your homework for next week. And uh, what am I forgetting? Am I forgetting something? I don't think so. I feel like there's something else I'm supposed to say at the end of the show. All right. Well, so that's uh, that's everything for this week. Go and and try to have fun in the coming week and listen to melt banana if you if you need that little boost of chipmunk ass kicking or if you need to fight god uh gary newman yeah either way you know i I can see them teaming up to fight god oh yeah heck yeah all right well we're gonna get out of here so i can finish the cc lemon